The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know that the Knights Templar are part of the New World Order? Or that they made it to America before Columbus? Or that they buried treasure on Oak Island? These are just a few of the conspiracies surrounding the Templars that we'll explore today. We're also going to look at the uh, fall of the Knights Templar and their badass last stand at their Acker headquarters. The Templars became incredibly wealthy and powerful. And ironically, their wealth would be the impetus for the sudden demise of the Templars when a corrupt French king didn't feel like paying a debt back. We'll talk about Templars fighting Mongols, Templars battling Greek fire in Egypt, and so much more on this bonus part two edition, the fall of the Templars and the conspiracies that surround them today on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Friday, Time Suckers. It is bonus suck time. Wrapping up your work week with some new, exciting knowledge. Knowledge isn't just power, it's fun. Uh, when it's presented in a fun way, I'm Dan Cummins, the Grand General Headmaster of the Space Force of the Space Lizards, and you're listening to Time Suck. Hail Nimrod. Hail Lucifina. Why not? Praise Bojangles. Praise them all. Uh, thanks, as always, for the reviews and ratings. Taking 60 seconds or less to uh, to click some stars. On whatever app you're listening to on the uh, on the suck or listen to suck on, it goes a long way. It is very, very much appreciated. Uh, thank you, thank you. And um, I know a lot of you time suckers knew me first as a stand-up. A lot of you came over from Pandora, and I just did a new stand-up project with Pandora uh, with one of my favorite comics, uh, one of my favorite comedy people, Chad Daniels, and it's out now. It's called Behind the Bit. Chad and I sat down, uh, talked to each other about where our most popular bits on Pandora came from. What's the story behind the smoothie guys, salt, uh, the dead squirrel puppets? Here come the spoons, motherfucker. How did I think of that stuff? What was I thinking about when I wrote that stuff? What was going on in my life? How did I think of the, the squirrel to door or the Department of Caffeinated Beverages? How did Chad think up uh, so many of his uh, awesome, fantastical bits? 
it's a, it's a fun conversation. Fun looking to, uh, you know, the tracks. Uh, you get to listen to a lot of tracks, and uh, not just ours, but uh, tracks from a bunch of other comics that we uh, we enjoy on a new curated Pandora playlist behind the bit. So I'll have a link for that in the episode description. Totally free. Check it out. Uh, I hope you enjoy the additional content. And I enjoyed the, uh, the gifts you guys have been sending, man. Thank you so much. I send stuff every week. I'm very, very lucky. Uh, you've been sending stuff to the Suck Dungeon, P.O. Box 3891, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, 83816. Uh, I will put that in today's episode description as well so you can uh, send stuff easily. And Whiskey Emerson, author and time sucker, sent a copy of her awesome book, West of Hell. I am excited to uh, to give it a read. It's a beautifully, beautifully bound book. Uh, very, very cool. Uh, about, you know, some some gangs in New York City 150 years ago. I love it. Um, like uh, history and a, and a fictional account merged. Factual history and a, and a, you know, a fictional account within this uh, factual world. So very cool. And then also <laughs> Joyce Rath sent me a bar of clean wean soap. Mama Ridgeway's clean wean soap. Uh, not even joking. She really sent it to me. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. It has a wean hole and everything. Uh, got some Gary, uh, or Mama Ridgeway <laughs> clean wean artwork set of this morning too. About to put up on Instagram. So much fun stuff, man. And Instagram is just a uh, time suck, po- uh, time suck podcast or Dan Cummins comedy for, for mine, my stand up Instagram. It's a lot of fun stuff on both accounts. Uh, flat earth tour, man, rolling into Orlando next July 12th through 14th. Uh, excited to head back to the improv and heading there for many years. Excited to bring a lot, a lot of new content. And a live podcast on the 15th with Tom and Dan from Mediocre Time. Uh, limited, very limited tickets available. I think I'm waiting on the counts. Uh, somebody told me it was sold out. I think there are a few left though. And then I roll into the comedy store in La Jolla, uh, La Jolla, California. Down by San Diego, July 20th through 22nd. Dayton, Ohio, Funny Bone, July 27th through 28th. And, and a lot more tour dates coming up. Portland, Oregon, Denver, Colorado, Tacoma, Washington, Tampa, and Palm Beach, Florida. Hollywood and Huntington Beach, California. And so many more uh, dates. Grand Rapids, Michigan, lots of different spots coming up. Dan, uh, I said Denver. Yeah, dancommons.tv. Okay, Suckheads, let's, uh, let's finish up our big two-parter on the Knights Templar. All right, suckers, let's recap part one. In the 12th century, the Knights Templar are born uh, out of the aftermath of the incredibly successful end of the 11th century First Crusade. Uh, when some European Christian nobles and their armies took much of the Holy Land away from Muslim rulers. And, uh, and, and I do realize somebody had written in saying there might have been like a previous, uh, you know, technically a crusade before this one. But this is known as the first crusade um, at the end of the 11th century. Hugh of Payan and his small band of religiously motivated knights found a new order in Jerusalem recognized by local religious and civil leaders. And then a few years later, they're officially recognized by the Pope while on a big PR mission in Europe. They are tasked uh, with defending Jerusalem, guarding pilgrims, uh, pilgrims' journeys to the Holy Land. They're given the authority to kill without sin by the Pope, and then later given papal permission to force elderly medieval peasants to jerk them off while absolutely not making a sound or making eye contact with them, and then quickly walking away when they're done and never speaking of it again. Uh, wait, no, wait, no, 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 no. That, uh, that last one came from a questionable source. Now, I don't know what that was. Now, they didn't do that. They didn't do the last part. But they could kill whoever they needed to kill. Uh, they didn't have to tithe. Uh, anyone who hassled them got a one-way ticket to hell, crown or not. Uh, they were, you know, they were able to kill, not have to explain their killing. They weren't beholden to any ruler of Europe who didn't uh, have the name Pope. And e- even local bishops couldn't fuck with them. 
right? And uh, from various admirers, they're given lots of money and land. One dude gave him a, a third of a kingdom, you know, the kingdom of Aragon, which I wish I knew and was greatly admired by a dude who had a kingdom. Uh, given lots of castles to defend, Templar castles and fortifications sprinkled from Scotland to France to the Iberian Peninsula, along the coast of the Mediterranean, all the way to the Holy Land around Jerusalem. And then because they have the, uh, you know, only consistently guarded series of fortifications connecting Western Europe to Western Europe's Holy Land, they become Europe's premier bankers. You want to travel to the Holy Land, participate in the Crusades, start a new life in Jerusalem, maybe just visit some holy sites? Well, you know, you can deposit uh, your money with the Templars in France Access that money in Antioch, Acre, number of other Middle Eastern cities. Uh, better than traveling with it, you know, on your person, risking robbers taking it from you. And this additional financial aspect allows the Templars to acquire great wealth. Uh, they use their massive financial holdings to help a king fund a crusade. Uh, they're also, you know, uh, making money owning lots of land, which they lease out for farming, cattle raising, vineyards, etc., they're an integral part of the mid-12th century Second Crusade. Does not go well. They lost a lot of men. Europe lost uh, almost all of their foothold in the Holy Land. They fight, they fight again in the late 12th century Third Crusade when England's King Richard I or King Richard the Lionheart and King Philip uh, of France headed to the Holy Land with massive armies to take back Jerusalem. The elderly emperor, uh, German emperor, Frederick Barbarossa, also attempted to participate in this crusade, but he drowned in a river in Asia Minor. His men turned around and headed home. The Crusades really just uh, didn't work out as well for the Germans. They kept, they kept trying to get down there, and they, they kept running into problems as, as they were trying to get down there. And that's where we left off last week, uh, you know, at the very, uh, the very end of the 12th century. The Templars lost their original headquarters to Saladin, the first sultan of Egypt and Syria. They established a new headquarters in the port city of Acre, and in 1191, they hoped, along with King Richard the Lionheart, King Philip, to take back Jerusalem from Saladin. So let's pick up on Monday's timeline uh, with today's time suck timeline. Pick up where we left off on Monday and head to Jerusalem with the Crusaders in 1191 CE. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. On July 12th, 1191, King Richard the Lionheart and his men, along with some Templars, King Philip II of France and uh, Johnny Two-Shot Frisco from Tampa, uh, took back the city of Acre from Saladin's forces. Uh, actually, it was Leopold V, uh, Duke of Austria, who helped Richard and Philip take back the city of Acre from Saladin's forces. I wish it was Johnny Two-Shot Frisco. That'd be such a fun name to add to this story, man, especially if he did take Jerusalem and then became Saint Frisco. And that's where uh, the city of San Francisco, California, got its name. Johnny Two-Shot Frisco. First shot for the ladies, second shot for the boys. What does that mean? Only Johnny Frisco knows. And Johnny Frisco doesn't answer questions. He asks them. Anyway, Richard and Philip and Leopold uh, do successfully take Acker back and then promptly get into an argument of how the spoils of their victory should be divided. Frustrations about who should control what, who should get what, who should be put in charge. There was some, you know, uh, Rival rivalries going for the monarchy that led Philip and Leopold to be like, well, fucking fuck you guys. I'm gonna take my ball, go home. Uh, they headed back to Europe. They gave up on the crusade. Richard, having brought the largest army, uh, he was the guy who ended up getting his way and his particular disagreement remained. And to King Phil's credit, he left 7,000 French troops to kind of help out. Uh, Richard the Lionheart, he really was a strong willed son of a bitch. Not only did he force his will on the other kings, he also had his way with the Templars after the death of Master Templar Gerard Ridefort. 
uh, Templar Grandmaster who'd just been beheaded by Saladin. Talked about that last week uh, on Monday uh, after getting captured in the siege uh, of Acre. Richard basically appointed the next Grandmaster of the Templars, a man he knew well and trusted, a man who was uh, one of his fellow crusaders came uh, with him, Robert the Fourth de Sable. Uh, Richard started negotiating with Saladin to try and figure out then how they could uh, coexist in the Holy Land together. And since they both basically wanted the same thing, which was all of the Holy Land, uh, negotiations did not go well between uh, Richard the Lionheart and then the Sultan. Uh, they really took a turn for the worse on August 20th, 1191, when Richard, frustrated with how long Saladin was taking uh, to get back to him on some you know point or another, you know, he's, he's got a bunch of troops sitting around. You can't wait forever. He's got to keep these guys fed, got to keep them drinking, got to keep them active and moving so disease doesn't, you know, run into his camp. Well, uh, he takes roughly 3,000 Muslims he'd captured. These are men, women, and children. Uh, takes them to a hill, marches them out to a hill outside the city gates. And then in, in front of uh, Saladin's army, he has uh, them decapita- decapitated. Like 3,000 of these people. Jesus. Ah. Ah. And uh, Saladin, uh, you know, his army tries to rescue him. Richard's forces defend their position against Saladin's attacks and then retreat back within the city walls. Holy shit. Can you imagine that? 3,000 people decapitated on a hill. I just, it is amazing to me the level of atrocities uh, that happened in medieval times. I mean, imagine that showing up in like in a news feed today. Holy shit, you know, if it's, uh, you know, you're flipping through your phone. Uh, let's see what's going on in the world today. Okay, people are mad about Trump saying something inflammatory. Uh, some dude I've never heard of has been accused of sexual harassment. Uh, Kim Kardashian has uh, posted a, another picture of her and Kanye. And I'm not sure how that qualifies as news with the others. And what the fuck? 3,000 men, women, and children were beheaded by the British because Prime Minister Theresa May was annoyed by a delay in some negotiations? Dear God, man, one kid getting publicly decapitated uh, at the behest of a world leader would be the biggest news story in years, in decades, in decades. And Richard had thousands of heads cut off that day. Truly, it's hard, it's hard to process that as having really happened, that kind of stuff. Uh, so Saladin, understandably not happy about that. And he responds by killing a whole bunch of prisoners he'd captured. And he, basically, I would say negotiations are kind of over at that point for the time being. That's, uh, you know, uh, a dual beheading kind of situation, mass beheading. It really kind of puts a like a monkey wrench in negotiations. Um, I'm pretty sure, you know, uh, beheading someone just, just puts an end to really all negotiations, just any kind. Well, I guess unless you're negotiating on what, like, you know, when or, or how to cut someone's head off. If like, if that's the point of contention, like you both want to cut the head off, but you just can't have to agree on like who should do it at what time with what weapon. Um, okay. Then in the summer of 1192, Richard leads Crusader South uh, to Jaffa, 42 miles west of Jerusalem on the Mediterranean coast. Jaffa is a mile and a half south of present day Tel Aviv. And he, he feels that an assault on Jerusalem is not possible without first taking Jaffa to base op- operations out of and also cut off Saladin's path to the Mediterranean. And uh, King Richard does take Jaffa after uh, routing Saladin's army on September 7th in the Battle of Arsif. Richard now controls most of the Holy Land's coast. But King Richard, the French contingent of soldiers left behind uh, by King Philip and locals, again, they just they can't get along. They can't get along well enough to agree on how to attack Jerusalem. And to the dismay of many Christians and leaders in Western Europe, they just they don't end up attacking it. They just can't get their shit together to, to agree on how to attack. So many battles and wars lost in medieval times based uh, almost entirely on people who are supposed to be on the same side, just not getting along. 
right? Because they can't, you know, come to a, an agreement on how to divide up the spoils should they get them. A couple of disagreeing factions squabbling over, you know, who should receive the throne or or who should receive this if they win or some other, you know, uh, that stuff is always happening. Then some other group pops in and beats all of their, their divided asses, takes everything for themselves. You know, a couple different supposedly aligned groups can't agree on the siege and disband. <laughs> and then and then later, you know, uh, none of the groups can defend themselves against the group they were supposed to join up, uh, uh, you know, together and attack previously. Just constant disagreement and strife. I guess that's just how, well, I guess that's how today is, you know, political leaders constantly disagreeing. Uh, Richard was able to negotiate, though, again with Saladin. I guess he'd, uh, they, you know, it cooled, things had cooled off since the mass beheadings. He and Saladin agreed that uh, Saladin could keep Jerusalem and his other existing Holy Land properties as long as Christian pilgrims could at least visit Jerusalem. Uh, and then the Lionheart left the Holy Land in October of 1192. In 1193, the new Master Templar, Robert, uh, and then also Saladin both die. Saladin of illness, Robert and some unnamed skirmish. In 1198, a new pope takes power, orders a new crusade. The fourth crusade this time begins in 1202, and it was a fucking unmitigated disaster. This is the worst crusade uh, as far as uh, going for the Christians, the worst crusade. The majority of crusaders this time never even made it to the Holy Land. Instead, they end up attacking other Christians in Asia Minor. Like things go real south on this one. The first place they attack, Zara, is actually located in present-day Croatia, not far from uh, Venice, really, which was the launching point of the Fourth Crusade. Too long of a side story to delve into properly, basically bickering between various Christian nations because there's epic schism between the East and the, it becomes like the Greek, Greek Christians, Greek Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, you know, which is that church headquartered in Constantinople, and then, you know, the, the, the Roman Catholics in, in Rome. You know, there's been a schism that's already previously happened, and they're not getting along and there's a, but the Pope doesn't want them, those guys to be attacked because they, they're still, you know, they're, they're, they have like a political relationship with them. They're still somewhat on the same team, but over, you know, little squabbles amongst the, the crusaders heading off, they end up attacking other Christians. The Pope is fucking pissed. He writes a letter to the crusaders being, being like, Hey, Hey dudes, I'm fucking, I'm pissed. You sacked Zara. What the fuck? Sincerely Pope. Uh, that's not an exact quote. But he did write a letter to the crusaders, uh, to the leaders, threatening them with excommunication. Like, hey, guys, stop uh, attacking Byzantium or uh, you're out. You're out of heaven. Get down to Jerusalem. Get down to Jer- Come home or go to Jerusalem, but knock this off. You know, do what we agreed on. Well, the leaders do not show this letter to their men. And then they, uh, they sack, they uh, plan a huge siege against the capital of the Byzantine Empire, Constantinople. Uh, and then they'd end up sacking it, uh, killing a whole lot of people, ruling it for about four decades. Then in addition to uh, adding further division between Roman and Eastern churches, they, this, they also weakened the Byzantine nation, which was standing in the way between uh, kind of the Holy Roman Empire and the uh, Ottoman Empire later, you know. Uh, so they, they would really kind of, like I was talking about earlier, when they can't get along and they attack each other and then they weaken things that are bad for everybody. Um, one prominent medieval historian, Stephen Rusiman, wrote, there was never a greater crime against humanity than the Fourth Crusade. So the Knights Templar, Thankfully, virtually not involved in that one. So what are they doing around this time? They're getting rich. They're getting paid, motherfuckers. 1188. Templars in England uh, have been collecting crusade taxes since 1188 when Richard the Lionheart's predecessor assigned them that task. The English crown and the Templars had become very financially intertwined. They'd become the English crown's bankers. And things were going uh, well in France also. On 1202, Templar brother named Hamard 
a resident of the Paris Temple, was appointed treasurer to the crown, an arrangement that benefited the Templars for more than a century. And then it would, yeah, it would end uh, horrifically. Um, the Templars provided France with the most modern accounting system in Europe, consolidating all royal income expenditure through a single set of books, allowing careful scrutiny, management on a scale that uh, had not been seen before in Europe amongst its neighbors. And they were making money elsewhere in Europe. Uh, through, through all the money given to them, they'd become major feudal lords. Thousands of men and women lived in various forms of bonded servitude on Templar land, owning uh, by ancient custom the sweat of the labor for a fixed number of days per year, you know, being compelled to present as rent uh, in kind of a fixed number of cows, chickens, crops, or eggs, you know, so local peasants are giving them part of their money. In different places in Italy, the Templar presence had spread rapidly throughout the peninsula as far south as Sicily, uh, south of Sicily, where the uh, there were major preceptories in Messina and throughout the island. In Aragon, where the Templars' long history stretched back to the days of Alfonso the Battler. We talked about him. The order owned manors, vineyards, olive groves, portfolio of residential and commercial property. You know, the charter register of the Templar house in uh, Huesca in northern Aragon uh, contains records of transactions by which the Templar brothers bought orchards, wineries, shops, houses. In many cases, people left the Templars everything in their will, which benefited them greatly. People would do this because they thought it would help get them to heaven. Uh, supposedly, the more you left the Templars, the more they prayed for your soul. Right? There was Templar churches throughout the land. Uh, you know, so these, some of these you know local places had their had their Templar church, and so that's who they would want to give everything to. Twelve thirty eight, James drove out the Moors of Valencia, began colonizing the surrounding area to form a new kingdom with himself as kings, uh, or with himself as king. Excuse me. And the Templars were handily rewarded with a uh, house in the city, gardens, and farmland. Uh, Pope Innocent III, who reigned from 1198 to 1216, he was a huge fan of the Templars. He used Templar brothers as tax collectors, granting the order new privileges, issuing uh, papal bulls, reconfirming the general protections that they'd enjoyed for decades already. Over the course of his papacy, uh, he reiterated the Templars' immunity from tithes charged by other clergy. He reaffirmed their right to build their own churches, collect tithes at those churches, forbade any other Christians from harming the brothers or their possessions exhorted the order to examine closely the new recruits to avoid a weakening of the Templars' collective moral, moral fiber. By the time Innocent died in 1216, the Templars were stronger, richer, better connected than they'd uh, been at any time in their history. So uh, now for the next century, a lot of what the Templars did is just uh, kind of a rehash of what we already talked about. They expanded their holdings, stored more money, made more friends with more kings and queens, continued not to hit their squires, continued to try and defend pilgrims to the Crusader states in the Holy Land, uh, while there was still states there that were loyal to the Pope. By the 1280s, only two crusader states in the Holy Land did remain, the remnants of the Kingdom of Jerusalem, you know, with the uh, Templar headquarters in Acre, and the county of Tripoli. By 1291, the entirety of the Holy Land would fall into Muslim hands, the Templars losing their headquarters and fighting in their last significant battle that year. And we'll talk about that battle, the, the uh, 1291 Siege of Acre. Before we do, uh, let's talk about some noteworthy battles leading up to it. Uh, in the beginning of the 13th century, the Templars fought numerous uh, times, fought in a variety of battles in addition to defending numerous castles during the Spanish Reconquista. In 1212, they helped King Alfonso VIII of Castile win the Battle of the Las Navas de Toulouse. Huge win for Christian Europe. In 1195, Alfonso VIII of Castile had been defeated by the, the uh, Almohads in the so-called disaster of, of Alarcos. The, uh, the Almohad Caliphate was a 12th and 13th century Muslim empire that ruled over a large portion of nor the Northwest African coast and the Iberian Peninsula, present-day Spain, 
Portugal. They were mostly known for their size, man. They were they were huge people. The average Almohad man was close to seven feet tall and weighed an estimated three to four hundred pounds. And their heads were big, even for people of that size. Like picture Shaquille O'Neal. You know, picture the former basketball player Shaquille O'Neal. Picture an army of like a thousand giant scimitar wielding uh, shacks coming for you. Each riding a special breed of horse they had called a Jakarta Stallion. Now picture a Clydesdale and then add another half a horse in size. Then add wings. Then add human feet where the hooves should be. Then add big googly eyes where normal horse eyes should be. And a peacock's tail. And a lion's penis. If you still haven't caught on that I'm making up everything about how big these guys were and what kind of animals uh, they used to ride on, God bless you. I want you to listen to the show again later uh, when you have less hard drugs in your system. No, the Almohad Caliphate was mostly known for wanting to kick Christian ass on the Iberian Peninsula. After their victory in 1195, the uh, Almohads uh, took several important cities, Trujillo, Placencia, Talavera, Cuenca, Oces. Then in 1211, Muhammad al-Nasir crossed the Strait of Gibraltar with a powerful army, invaded Christian territory, captured several more Christian strongholds, and this made the rest of Christian Europe Super fucking nervous. I'm sure many conversations was had about the Islamic threat coming at them from both the Iberian Peninsula and from Asia, Asia Minor. It's like a little pincher technique. They're going to get squeezed out of Europe. They're going to pinch them right out of Europe. I bet there was some uh, hysterical discussions, you know, about that. They're going to get us. Today, Castile. Tomorrow, France. Then Aragon. Germany. All the, the little countries. And now they're Rome. Please, Pope. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. I'm scared. Something like that, I imagine. Something, people were very, very nervous. Uh, they, they truly were very scared. Please don't let him kill me. Uh, the Pope really did do something. The threat to uh, Hispanic Christian kingdoms was so great that Pope Innocent III called European knights to yet another crusade. Uh, crusades, by the way, not limited to the Holy Land. The main crusades were directed to the Holy Land, yeah. But crusades could be directed towards any Christian nation or uh, uh, you know, to help out any Christian nation or group of Christians being threatened by any non-Christian entity. You know, uh, one def- definition of a crusade is just any war carried out under papal sanction. Uh, the kings of Castile, uh, Navarre, Portugal, Aragon, all took to the field with this new crusade, uh, along with the Templars, the orders of Santiago and uh, Calatrava, and volunteers from France who traveled to southern Spain between Cordoba and Granada for the express purpose of fighting the Almohads and their giant winged horses. No. And the Templars fought with them, and this time they got to be part of another great victory. Uh, it was a major Christian victory with the caliphate, or excuse me, that the caliphate would never recover from. Over the next few decades, the Christians would push the Muslims completely out of Spain. Uh, other than the little vassal Muslim state of Granada, uh, which would have to pay an annual tribute to the crown of Castile before being taken outright by Castile in 1492 after a decade-long war there. So, Holy Land Crusades, win-loss record, not as good for the Templars. Spanish Crusades, muy bueno. Victoria. Uh, the Spaniards claimed after the battle that the Christians had lost only uh, 25 or 30 men while they had killed 100,000 Muslims. Uh, they did claim that, but that's you know thought by historians to be a preposterous exaggeration. Uh, in fact, actually, there, and, and there were substantial losses on the Christian side, uh, especially within the military orders. The Templars lost their Portuguese master, but it was a morale-boosting victory, and it seemed to suggest that God was smiling once again on the Christians. Yes, I like how you're killing down there, guys. Good job on the butchering. I appreciate it. Uh, the caliph, Muhammad al-Nasir, himself died in Marrakesh shortly after the battle where he had fled after the defeat. And that crushing defeat uh, significantly hastened again their decline in the Iberian Peninsula. Okay, so 1218, 
the Templars participated in yet another Holy Land Crusade, the Fifth Crusade, fighting bravely, taking huge casualties, but fighting in another crusade that sadly didn't really accomplish much other than just get a lot of people killed. Uh, Templar forces accompanied crusading troops from all over the Holy Roman Empire, from the Kingdom of Hungary, the Kingdom of France, the Papal States, the Crusader States, even other orders like the Teutonic Order, the Knights uh, Hospitaller. Everyone's getting in on the Holy Fun this time. Uh, And this time, the the Templars took a different uh, route. They went to Egypt. They were attempting to attack the Muslims there. Not attempting. They did attack the Muslims there. And then they were going to head up into the Holy Land from below this time. Uh, They participated in a siege of the Egyptian coastal city of Damietta, uh, just east of Alexandria, at the mouth of the Damietta branch of the Nile River. And this siege sounds like hell on earth. The Templars faced Greek fire when they attacked Damietta from the sea. And Greek fire sounds a lot like regular fire, but stickier and even more burnier. It's the burniest kind of fire. Uh, Inside the city, defenders were equipped with every conceivable device for bludgeoning. And this is the the Islamic, you know, defenders. Uh, Every conceivable device for bludgeoning, burning, impaling anyone foolhardy enough to face them down. One of their most uh, potent weapons was that seriously nasty shit called Greek fire. We touched on this uh, uh, way back in another suck. Um, I, I, I can't recall exactly which one it was. We just kind of barely mentioned it. Um, it Greek fire is a sticky, it's a, a naphtha-based uh, inflammatory resin, which could be sprayed from pipes or hurled grenade style uh, in pots that would shatter on impact. It was essentially medieval napalm. And, and this sticky Greek fire, probably like some kind of petroleum base, uh, was impossible to extinguish. Nasty, highly potent weapon, you know, uh, to turn on soldiers attacking from the water. And it was uh, even the water would not put it out. And and no one knows exactly how they made it to this day. Probably, again, some kind of petroleum oil base, which is why, uh, you know, it would burn on the water. Likely derived from some type of crude oil. They found that it seeped up, you know, to the surface. But again, it's it's a mystery of ancient times to a certain extent. Damietta was also hot as shit in a non-burning mysterious flame way. It wasn't a fun place to wear big robes and armor because the temperature would exceed 110 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade on a regular basis. That's going to make a, a siege uh, significantly even less fun than normal. Even when you're not getting stabbed or burned, you're very sweaty. You, I can only imagine just the funky balls those guys had, right? This, the, the bacteria, the, the, the athlete's foot type situations. The, the chafing, there's got to be, oh, got to be a lot of rank balls on this siege. Uh, Crusader, Crusader ships anchored in the river tried to pelt the tower uh, guarding the city with, a, uh, with an onboard catapult, but a counterblast of Greek fire lit, <laughs> lit, every, lit their ships on fire, and they went back to base camp, you know, pierced with arrows. They were fucking burnt. Templars even tried to build an armored ship, you know, protected by bulwarks to, to attack the tower. They got all burned up and shot up as well. The Templars on the Fifth Crusade faced additional uh, natural miseries uh, as well as the rest of, uh, as winter approached, excuse me, conditions deteriorated quickly. Poor provisioning led to a mass outbreak of scurvy. That never sounds fun. Men limping around the siege camp with their scurvy legs now and lower legs in agony. Their gums swollen up, their gums rotting. Some crusaders left, having been uh, away from home for a year. They reckoned uh, that to be an adequate fulfillment of their vows. That'd be a bummer. Hey, Lester, how'd the crusade go? Not good. Lost most of my teeth to scurvy. Watched my neighbors get burned alive. Uh, in late October, the Templars' camp was raided early one morning, resulting in a small cavalry battle. More than 500 men are killed. 
following month, the camp is lashed by a three-day storm, swelled the river, washed away a lot of their tents, smashed several ships uh, at, at anchor into splinters. In early December, raids continued from the captured river tower. Oliver of Padborn recorded one encounter in awe. said, having been sucked too close to Damietta's defensive barricades by the river's strong current, one of the Templar ships was uh, showered with stones and Greek fire, then surrounded by light enemy craft. Then Muslim soldiers fastened themselves to the vessel with grappling hooks, scaled the high wooden sides, engaged in hand-to-hand battle uh, uh, on deck. When they'd fought for a long time, the ship at last was pierced, you know, so it was uh, the, the hole was breached, sought the depths, drowning Egyptians with Christians so that the top of the mast scarcely appeared above the water. Uh, he went on to liken the Templars who had died in the Nile to the Old Testament hero Samson. So also those martyrs dragged into the abyss of the waters along with themselves more than they could have killed with their swords. So, yeah, man, the, the Templars, man, they didn't mess around. These battlemen, when they really went for it, they went for it. They didn't let a uh, little scurvy turn them back. Didn't let heavy losses turn them back. Didn't let uh, constantly getting burned alive turn them back. Ships sink. They still keep fighting. The city of Damietta is eventually taken, held by crusader forces for about two years after the completion of the siege. The mosque of Damietta converted into a cathedral. But ultimately, the Fifth Crusade uh, failed in taking back Jerusalem and the Templars and other crusaders were, you know, pr- fairly quickly beaten back out of Egypt. You know, they only only get in there for a couple of years. Okay, so now let's skip ahead to 1241 when the Templars faced the Mongols. Uh, the Mongols had a reputation throughout the Western world at the time for being uh, kind of sweetie pies. They were just really known as sweetie pies. Mongol, is a- Mongol actually uh, translated in English means sweetie pie. I don't know if you know that. It's not true. It's probably if you, do. if you don't know that's why. But uh, they like to dance. They like to tell jokes. Uh, they like bubble baths. They like scented candles. Um, that kind of stuff. Uh, no, they were fucking demons. They were demons on the battlefield. Uh, 1241, the Templars fought the Mongols in the Battle of Lagnicia. Uh, or, like, yeah, like, Lanika? Lagnica. Uh, uh, on, on April 9th, 1241, a massive Mongol army encountered Henry the Pia, uh, Pious, the Duke, <laughs> almost, ah, one almost got me, the Duke of Greater Poland, uh, a man who looked uh, like a lot of Polish men, looked like a mix between a gorilla and a pile of rotten meat. Uh, so he's considered handsome for a, for a Polish man. No, I have no idea how he looked. I just, you know, I love teasing Polish people. But anyway, the Mongols are attacking Eastern Europe in several places in the mid-13th century as they look to expand their massive empire west. Uh, for sure have to do some Mongol sucks at this point. I know we touched on the on one early on with the Battle of Nishapur. Uh, to keep Europe's forces divided, the Mongols, who possessed vast numbers of troops, split their military might on the western front into three armies, sending two into Hungary and a third into Poland. One of these uh, armies encountered Henry's uh, men near present day, and it's uh, Leganesia. There we go. There we go. I think that's how it's Leganesia in southwest Poland. Possessing a mixed force of anywhere from two to 25,000 knights, 2,000 to 25,000 knights in infantry accounts very wildly because these guys are always inflating their numbers. So it's hard to trust her numbers. Henry formed uh, uh, anywhere, you know, he went to battle against anywhere from eight to 8,000 to 25,000 Mongol cavalry. Most historians seem to think there was probably roughly 10,000 total men on each side. But again, sometimes with these battles, it's like, yeah, just there's uh, all the accounts vary so, too much to have any real idea of how many. A lot of dudes, roughly. Uh, roughly a lot of dudes. A lot of dicks on that battlefield. As Henry's men prepared for battle, they were uh, disconcerted by the fact that the Mongol troops rode into position in near silence. It's creepy. Using flag signals to direct their movements. That is creepy. And people just being quiet out there coming towards you was just fucking you a war cry or something. It's weird. The battle opened with an attack uh, by Boleslav of Moravia, 
On the Mongol lines, advancing in front of the rest of Henry's army, Boleslav's men were repulsed after the Mongols nearly surrounded their formation, peppered them with arrows. As Boleslav fell back, Henry sent forward two divisions toward the Mongols, storming towards the enemy. Their attack appeared successful as the Mongols began retreating, but it was a fake retreat. As they pursued the enemy, a single rider appeared from the Mongol lines yelling, run, run, in Polish. Believing this to be a warning, uh, Meshko began falling back. Seeing this, Henry advanced with his own division to support uh, Sulislav, another, another leader. The battle renewed. The Mongols again fell back with the Polish knights in pursuit. And then having separated the knights from the infantry, the Mongols turned and attacked. And then they surrounded the knights. You smoke. Man, people had to use smoke back then in battle. You smoke to prevent the European infantry from seeing what was happening. As the knights are cut down, the Mongols rode in on the infantry's uh, flanks, routing and killing almost all of them. In the fighting, Duke Henry was killed as he and his bodyguard tried to flee the carnage. His head was cut off, placed on a spear, and then that was uh, paraded around Leganesia. That's a, that's a morale killer, man. That's the that's worst way to show up in a parade. It's just a head. A head on a stick, no less. Uh, that's, a, that's a bummer. That's a bummer way to make it into a parade. And it has to suck if you, if you live there, you were a fan of him, and then you, you know... Ah, life is not going to be as good when you see his head coming through town on a stick. Essentially, Henry's army was destroyed, and the Templar Grand Master Ponce de Abon reports to King Louis, uh, King Louis, uh, the ninth of France, that the military order lost 500 people, both in Leganesia and subsequent raids on three Templar villages and two towers. Mongol casualties unknown. After the battle, as was their custom, the Mongols cut the right ear off of each fallen European in order to count the dead. Do you, remember, do you remember talking about the ear sacks way back in Suck Number 6 during the mass beheading of Nishapur? Way, way back in the Suck catalog. Supposedly, they filled nine sack, <laughs> sackfuls of ears. Though, again, this has as much validity as, as the accounts and of the number of, you know, battle participants. Um, wow, man. So who knows? Maybe they, maybe they only had five sacks of ears, which, which to me still sounds like a lot of ears. Uh, I googled how big were Mongol ear sacks and nothing helpful came up. That was a bummer. I'm picturing a burlap potato sack for some reason, maybe because I'm from Idaho and I've been conditioned to think a lot about potatoes and so many people from other states seem to think that's all we do here is grow potatoes. If it is potato sack sized, uh, holy shit, that is a lot of ears. I, I, I bet I could get a good, I bet I could get a good 10 to 15 ears in a Ziploc sandwich sack. I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking probably too much about it. And that's, and that's 2018 American grown man ears. I bet, I bet I could get 20 little 30, 13th century European ears into one sandwich bag. So a potato sack, ballpark, 1,000 ears. I think easy. I think easy 1,000 ears, maybe 1,500. If anyone has ever uh, filled a potato sack full of human ears, please write into the show. Uh, please include a detailed explanation of, of how you got those ears and never fucking come here. You are never welcome in the suck dungeon. Uh, all right. Let's jump up to the last important battle involving the Templars. This is the nail in their coffin. This is one led their demise, their swift demise after this. This is the siege of Acre in 1291. And, uh, and before we talk about that siege, let's talk about uh, another one of today's kick-ass uh, sponsors. Let's talk about today's first kick-ass sponsor. Uh, I had Mama, Mama Ridgeway's clean wing stuck in my head. That wasn't, we didn't do a commercial for that one. We just referenced the soap we got sent in. Anyway, Time Suck brought to you today. By the Wild Card Podcast, recently selected as one of the 10 best new shows by Podcast Hunter. Uh, Wild Card is an interesting, hilarious, occasionally uncomfortable look, I like it, at the world around us. Host John and Connor ask the questions you need answered. What is it like to get shot at in combat? Is your waiter spitting in your food? 
What are the strangest objects paramedics are finding in people's butts? In the interview, you know, guests like United States uh, Marine Corps Captain Phil Downs, Comedy Central Workaholics creator Dominic Russo, high-profile defense attorney Bradford Cohen. Uh, recently, on the most recent episode, I looked at, uh, <laughs> they talk shit on uh, shitty culture destroying YouTubers. I like it. I like the variety. Uh, we time suckers like variety. So give it a listen. Learn everything you ever wanted to know and some things you didn't. Refill your Valtrex prescription. Download the latest episode of Wildcard. Download Wildcard today on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you like to listen to podcasts. Episode link in today's, or excuse me, link in today's episode description. Okay, let's talk about that final stand, 1291. Uh, the final stand in, in, the, in the Holy Land proper. Acre is sieged again exactly 100 years after Acre had been sieged by Richard the Lionheart and other crusaders uh, and taken from Saladin's forces. And now it's the Muslim forces sieging the city to take uh, back the, the headquarters of the Templars, right? Templars lost their original Jerusalem headquarters to the Muslims over a century before. Uh, the Mamluk Sultanate, based out of Cairo, had territory that surrounded the Red Sea, and they were quickly taken over the Holy Land during the mid and late 13th century. They'd just taken the county of Tripoli in 1289. The Principality of Antioch had fallen in 1268. The County of Edessa, that was lost uh, over a century earlier. All that's left is the Kingdom of Jerusalem, uh, which possessed little outside of Acre. And Acre is the last stand for the Crusaders, the last proper stand in the Holy Land. Uh, Acre was well defended by two lines of thick walls, had 12 towers. These walls and towers held the Muslims out for 43 days. But then, on the night of Friday, May 18th, 1291, Acre, after being in the hands of the Franks for 100 years, Right of those Western Europeans, those Pope-loving uh, Europeans, now is in the hands of Al Ashraf Khalil and his Mamluk Sultanate army. All of the Holy Land is theirs, with the exception, and how poetic is this, of the Templar Fortress, their Holy Land headquarters. About two hundred Templar knights still inside, and some other villagers. Last place to fall, not without a fight. The Templars' huge headquarters stood on the west side of the city seashore, based on pictures I found online. Uh, and there's pictures of it today. It looks to have been restored. Uh, it looks, it's epic. It's huge. Badass. Well, after sieging the rest of the city, the Sultan negotiated with Peter de Severi, the last living Templar master, or I'm sorry, he was not a master, last living Templar commander uh, for an entire week. And it was agreed upon that the Templars and everyone else inside the fortress would have free passage to Cyprus. But the Sultan's men who were sent to the fortress to supervise the evacuation, about 100 dudes started to rough up. The villagers started to round up the women and, and uh, boys and started uh, sending them to slave markets, you know, or, or prepping them to be sent to slave markets, which was not part of the deal. And the Templars were like, fuck that. And uh, all of the Sultan's men who had been sent into the fortress, those roughly 100 men, slaughtered by the Templars, right? They knew that was going to be bad for negotiations, but man, they had their moral code and they, and they didn't budge. That is pretty amazing. You know, they could have let those people be taken. They could have went on to Cyprus. But like, nah, uh-uh, these people we're protecting. Nope, we're cutting you down now. So then the Templars let the Sultan know that shit is back on. It's fight to the death time. Uh, and again, how badass is that? These, these last Templars in the Holy Land are completely surrounded by Muslims. No help for them is coming. There's no living allies in the entirety of the Holy Land at this point. And they're like, yeah, no, we're ready to fight still. We'll fight you. And then, uh, and then that night, Peter sent out the treasurer of the temple, uh, Thabad Gaudin, a man who would uh, soon become the new master of the Templars, and a few other men who took uh, treasure Templars had stored uh, to nearby Sidon, a city that hadn't fallen to the Muslims quite yet. Uh, this guy likely escaped him and his uh, other Templars via one of the tunnels the Templars had beneath their fortress. You can visit at least one of these tunnels today. It's, uh, 
it leads to the sea. It's like 350 meters long. It was uh, discovered fairly recently, 1994. It's now open to the public. It's uh, really incredible to look at pictures of it. And again, man, more badassery. They kill 100 of the sultan's men, and then that night, they, they I mean, the sultan men are, have, have infiltrated the entire city other than their fortress, yet they still managed to sneak out some treasure, you know, through a secret tunnel. The following morning, the sultan sent a new envoy to the fort, uh, expressed, expressed deep regrets for the actions of the few guilty men who tried to sell those women and children into slavery. slavery. You know, just said, ah, my bad, my bad. They didn't. I told them not to sell them into slavery, and they didn't hear the not part. And that's on me. That's that's my bad. I should have reconfirmed with them. Um, DeSevery, probably feeling that he didn't have a better option, uh, you know, than to try to make some agreement. He selects a few other Templars to accompany him on his trip to the Sultan's camp. They head outside the fortress. As soon as they get outside the fortress walls, they're accosted, they're dropped to their knees, and their heads are cut off. Which couldn't have come as too big of a shock. They just killed 100 of the Sultan's men. He's not going to let that shit slide no matter what he says. Well, when the besieged Templars, still in the fortress, saw what happened to their commander, they continued to fight. Uh, Ten days after the Sultan had taken the rest of the city on May 28th, the Sultan is finally able to uh, create a breach uh, underneath the fortress, sends in about 200 of his best warriors to fight their way inside. Once they get inside, one final Hollywood-type touch to this story. The Frankish fortress collapses in on itself, killing almost everyone inside. All the remaining Templars die at once, and they took most of the Sultan's men he had sent inside with them. Fuck yeah. After this, the Sultan quickly takes the last, uh, you know, you know, less fortified cities along the coast. It's easy pickings at that point. And the remaining few Templars retreat to Cyprus and to the small island of Ruat, just under two miles uh, off the coast of present-day Syria and the present-day city of Tartus, formerly Tortosa, Small town of Arwad covers this island, and the stubborn crusaders would hold this little teeny island, less than a tenth of a square mile in size, for a little over a decade. It's just, you know, it's like just off the coast. They just, they still weren't ready to give up. They'd lost all the mainland land, but they had this, like, the tiniest little island. They're like, nah, we're going to stay here. Go, come on, try and kick us out. It's just over 2,600 feet long, over 1,600 feet wide, five, five and a half football fields wide, just under half a mile in length. It's so teeny. They thought they could uh, use it as a battle staging area to take back Tortosa. And then if they could take back Tortosa, they could fight their way back into the Holy Land. Stubborn. November of 1301, Pope Boniface VIII gives the uh, island to the Knights Templar outright. Uh, they strengthify its fortifications, install 120 knights, 500 archers, 300 servants on it. Also in 1301, Crusaders uh, tried joining forces with the Mongols. You know, let's gang up and fight against the Muslims, but the coalition never comes to fruition. And then in 1302, uh, the Mamluks, the, the 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 Muslims send a fleet of 16 ships up from Egypt to attack their little island. They prevent supply ships from uh, heading in from Cyprus uh, to be able to reinforce the Templars, and they start starving them out, just literally starving them out. And then uh, when the Templars attempt to negotiate and emerge from their base, most of them uh, are executed. A few dozen are taken prisoner, and then they're placed in a you know sent down to Cairo in some boats, placed in a Cairo prison where they were told they'd be freed if they were just able to repent their faith and convert to Islam, and instead they uh, chose to die of starvation. So, man, tough fuckers, those Templars. Serious convictions. After this loss, the Crusaders and the Templars had zero remaining presence in the Levant. Levant. The Levant, Levant, uh, which is those countries between Greece and Egypt. And now, with no presence left in the Holy Land whatsoever, uh, the Knights Templar were an order that had outlived their primary reason for existence. They were formed to protect the kingdom of Jerusalem, uh, to protect the crusader states, to protect Christian pilgrims on their way to the Holy Land. And now there are no Christian pilgrims 
heading to the Holy Land and there are no Holy Land kingdoms left to protect. That's, that's got to make it kind of hard to keep morale up and to continue to be admired by the general public, you know? We are the Knights Templar, defender of the Holy Land. There's no Holy Land to defend. You lost it to the Sultan, didn't ye? Well, it's, it, well, okay. It wasn't, but it wasn't just us, was it? It was, there was a lot going on. A lot of, lot of different moving parts, really. It was your only important job. That, that's not true. That's not true. Protecting pilgrims in route to Jerusalem. That's, that's our most important job. There are no more pilgrims. Who wants to head east just to get their head lopped off? That's quite enough of you in the back. It's quite enough. Congratulations. You're going to hell now. We still have the support of the Pope. Uh, and they did. They did have the Pope's support, but not for long. Uh, they did still have hundreds of Templar houses throughout Europe after all this vast wealth. They did still function as a bank, still managed farms, vineyards, and such, but no longer a symbol of Christian strength. They're, they were the mascot of the Crusades, and the Crusades had failed. The Muslims had won. Uh, still falling under papal protection, the Templars, you know, were still this weird state within a state in the various countries they resided in. They still had a standing army, but no mission. And then the Templars indicated an interest in forming their own monastic state. Uh, the Teutonic Knights had recently done so. The Teutonic Order had been given its own crusader state on the shores of the Baltic Sea. Well, they, you know, they fought for it as well, uh, taking land from local pagans. Well, the nobility of Europe, they didn't have any extra land to give anybody else. They had zero interest in giving any of their land to the Templars. They, didn't, they weren't in favor of them having their own state. And many didn't see the point in keeping them around at all. They, they began to get a little irritated to these rulers with the fact that these guys weren't paying taxes still. You know, why should these assholes be able to continue to amass great wealth and do as they please in their kingdoms when they weren't currently doing much to expand or protect these kingdoms? Why, why does the Pope need an army if there's no real war to be fought right now? You know, a religious war. Uh, however, they do still function as a bank again, and, and this banking skill, as I alluded to earlier, was, is, is going to be what gets them killed. Remember that? They had that deal with, uh, with France. They were France's, you know, bankers. Well, that comes back to haunt them. In 1305, the new pope, Pope Clement V, who had just become pope that year, uh, is Pope Hat, still very shiny, still quite new, very white, uh, sent letters to both the Templar Grandmaster and Hospitaller uh, Grandmaster to discuss the possibility of merging these two orders. You know, considering the current state of the Crusades, he's like, come on, bros, come on. Crusades are, you know, they're in a lull. We got to downsize. We got we to gotta do some layoffs. We got to merge. Neither order is happy about this, but Pope Clement uh, persists. And in 1306, he invites both grandmasters to France to discuss the matter. The Templar grandmaster, Jacques de Molay, arrives first in uh, 1307, and then the other order delayed for several months. While waiting, uh, de Molay and Clement discuss criminal charges, recent criminal charges that have been made two years earlier by an ousted Templar. Uh, and these criminal charges are being taken seriously by King Philip the IV uh, of France and his ministers. And the Templars don't like this. A former Templar named uh, Esquin de Florian uh, had been accusing the Knights of various crimes for years. Crazy crimes. Uh, and remember, when this uh, stuff kind of comes up in these uh, historical sucks, you know, paranoid schizophrenia, other serious mental disorders uh, did exist back then, but just weren't understood at all or treatable. Well, this ousted Templar accused the Knights of being heretics. Uh, big ac accusation back then. Who did not believe in the mass or other sacraments. And they practiced sodomy and they, they spit on the cross. And they had weird rituals uh, where, you know, which included worshiping some demonic idol called uh, Baphomet. Well, prior to DeFlorian ever mentioning uh, this particular demon, there is no mention of Baphomet in history ever by anyone. It's almost like he made it up. Uh, it was generally agreed that the charges were false, but King Philip was taking them very seriously. Why? 
because he was an unscrupulous piece of shit. Uh, when he didn't like somebody, accusations started flying. There had been a big history of this with him already before this. Uh, after a disagreement with Pope Clement's predecessor, Pope Boniface VIII, uh, he had that pope uh, beaten nearly to death. Had a, had like one of his henchmen <laughs> kidnap him for a couple of days and beat the shit out of him. He he would die from those injuries a short short while later. Pope Boniface and Philip became uh, had become enemies when Phil decided to kick the uh, the clergy, uh, the religious clergy, out of his government uh, and and also started taxing them which was a departure from the previous administration. Boniface didn't like it. He threatened Phil with excommunication. Phil didn't like that. He uh, asked Boniface to step down. Boniface said no. And then he had some thugs, you know, beat Boniface almost to death. Highly summarized version of events, but that's what happened. And then when Boniface was dead, he held a posthumous trial regarding, regarding him being a heretic to kind of legitimize what everybody kind of knew he did to this guy. And he accused him of all kinds of stuff, you know, heresy, uh, sodomy, all kinds of things. According to historians, Philip really liked to throw around the term sodomy. Because this is back in the age of inquisitions where you could be burned at the stake for some butt fucking. And it was an easy accusation to make. So when, when some wackadoodle ex-Templar came around, you know, because you can't like not prove it, just someone's word against somebody else's. So some uh, wackadoodle ex-Templar comes around, starts making these accusations about sodomy, about demon worship, all sorts of crazy sex rituals, and all kinds of weird shit against the Templars. Oh man, Phil's all over it. And why was he all over it? Because he owed the Templars a lot of money. And that's part, part, probably why he wanted to distance uh, the clergy from the government now because he didn't want to pay back these loans. He, most historians believe he began pressuring the new pope to take action against the Templars as a way of freeing himself from his debts because for years he'd been borrowing huge sums of money from the knights to finance his wars against England. And the Templars now wanted some of that money paid back. But the problem was that France was bankrupt and he didn't have a way of repaying his debts. And so the pope was now threatening to confiscate France's property unless he did pay back the debt. Well, the Pope relents uh, to Phil's pressure to uh, have these charges taken seriously, and the Pope authorizes the Inquisition of the Templars. And I'm sure him authorizing that had a lot to do with him not even, not wanting to be beaten to death. At dawn on Friday 13th, Friday the 13th, some people think that uh, our superstitions around Friday the 13th come from this Friday the 13th, but I don't, I don't know that that's true. At dawn on Friday the 13th, October 1307, King Philip uh, IV orders uh, de Molay and, other, and scores of other French Templars to be simultaneously arrested. The Templars are then tortured, uh, and uh, under extreme duress, they do admit that they that they worship Baphomet, that they sodomize each other, that they've committed massive financial fraud, stole, spit on crosses, etc. And then after these bullshit, you know, coerced confessions, Pope Clement, pressured uh, by the King of France, issues the King of France issues the uh, papal bull, uh, no, uh, issues a papal bull on November twenty second, thirteen o seven, instructing all Christian monarchs in Europe to arrest all Templars and seize all their assets. Uh, Pope Clement then uh, calls for some papal hearings to determine the Templars' guilt or innocence. Uh, once freed of the Inquisitor's torture, the Templars recant their confessions. It's funny how that works. Of course they do. Now that, now that they don't have, you know, hot pieces of metal being shoved on their fingernails or whatever, they're like, nah, no, nah, I just I just wanted that to stop. I don't mean I didn't mean any of that. But then in 1310, King Philip insists that the previously forced confessions should be valid. And, uh, and, and the Pope goes along with this. And uh, they end up getting a total of 56 Templars burned at the stake in Paris by the time everything's said and done. And then King Philip threatening military action uh, against uh, the Pope unless the Pope complies with his wishes. Uh, Pope Clement then agrees to disband the order, citing public scandal that had been generated by the confessions. At the Council of Vienna in uh, 1312, he issues a series of papal bulls, Council of Vienne, not Vienna, uh, which officially dissolved the order and uh, turned over most of their assets to uh, other orders like the Hospitallers. King Philip, of course, which uh, was absolved of all of his debt. 
So, you know, clearly it's, it's very easy to see all the motives here. Uh, you know, Clement doesn't want to get ousted, doesn't want to get, you know, killed, doesn't want to lose more papal power. King Philip doesn't want to pay back money. And the Templars are the, the scapegoats for this financial situation. Grand uh, Master de Molay, uh, this is kind of interesting, just kind of reminds me of their last stand in Acker, just how tough these guys were. He has to be tied in such a way when he's put on the stake so he could face Notre Dame Cathedral and uh, and hold his hands together in prayer while he's burning alive. Uh, and check out this badass legendary shit. This is according to legend. So, you know, uh, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But according to legend, Damolay called out from the flames as he's as he's being burned that Pope Clement and King Philip would soon meet him before God. His actual words supposedly uh, they, they were recorded on parchment, where as follows, he said, uh, God knows who is wrong and has sinned. Soon a calamity will occur to those who have condemned us to death. So supposedly he cursed them. And then Pope Clement died only a month later. King Philip died in a hunting accident before the end of the year. And how did Pope Clement die? This is fucking crazy. According to one story, while his body was lying, um, you know, while he's lying down, a thunderstorm, while he's lying, he's lying, lying in some church, a thunderstorm de- develops during the night, lightning strikes the church and ignites the building. And supposedly it, it struck the church like where he was laying. And the fire was so intense that it was dis- extinguished. The body of Pope Clement V was almost completely destroyed, just obliterated. Maybe just a legend, but a cool one. And that's it for the Knights Templar. And so that is it for this timeline. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. Okay, so the Templars are done. Uh, they're done in by the collapse of the Crusades and, you know, by a greedy French king after that. And, and maybe he wouldn't have been able to do that, you know. if He probably, he probably wouldn't have been able to do that uh, if they still had, you know, uh, uh, some land in the, uh, in the Holy Land. But they didn't. And then uh, before he dies, Pope Clement does absolve the Templars of the charges uh, against them. Obviously too late for the ones burned alive in Paris, but... But, uh, you know, other Templars uh, that weren't burned there than the other places in Europe did get to live out the remaining days in retirement on a pension or they were allowed to join other orders. Uh, the, mo- the modern Catholic Church's take on the matter is that the Templars did do nothing wrong and that they were victims of a scared pope being bullied by an unscrupulous and greedy French king. So uh, so before we move on to conspiracies, let's wrap up what we've learned overall about the Templars. They uh, they started off as a you know small band of religious-minded knights in Jerusalem born in the aftermath of the First Crusade created the Crusader States, you know, that one. Uh, and then thanks to the political campaigning of the Grand Master Hugh of Payan, they were able to get the Pope to give them incredible powers. They could kill infidels without sin, answerable to no one but the Pope, didn't have to uh, tithe, you know, being just some of the major benefits. And then after being gifted tons of land and castles and money to help fight in the Crusades, they became wealthy, they became bankers due to the number of fortified castles and fortresses, you know, stretching from Western Europe to the Holy Land. You know, they uh, they fought in tons of battles trying to defend Crusader states, fought very bravely, trying to uh, lead Crusaders into the Holy Land, attacking Islamic armies, defending against the Mongols. You know, they were the Pope's army. And when he felt the need to either defend or expand Christendom, he called upon the Templars. But then the Holy Land was lost to the Muslims. The Templars lost their headquarters. They lost their next headquarters. They lost that tiny island just off the coast of the Holy Land. Now there were no more pilgrims to protect, no more crusader states to defend. Then the greedy king took advantage of, his, of, the, of the fact that they'd recently fallen from their previously prestigious position amongst European Christians to, uh, to come up with some trumped-up charges against them to absolve his debt. 56 Templars gets burned at the stake. The order is disbanded and no longer exists. Or does it ex- still exist? A lot of conspiracy uh, theorists say these fuckers are still around. 
They're still doing all kinds of crazy stuff so much. Uh, let's look into the most popular and craziest of these conspiracy theories. But before we do that, let's check in with a sponsor that helps teach you how to look critically at conspiracy theories so you don't become an idiot of the Internet. This time suck is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. Check out The Great Courses Plus for unlimited access to deep dives on any topic that interests you. There are literally thousands of lectures to stream across virtually any topic from some of the world's best professors and experts, history, science, human behavior, photography, the Templars, and the Crusades. Uh, There's a great 32-minute course on the Crusades given by Leo uh, Amrash, Professor uh, Imeritis at Harvard, where he works as a research professor. He's, a, he's written several historical novels as well. I watched it this morning while I had breakfast, and it, incredible. Incredible. He was able to, to, you know, to give me all the best parts of the Crusades, formation of religious orders like the Templars, just a beautiful overview in just over a half an hour. Uh, watch or listen anytime from anywhere. You know, you can, you can download the, uh, the various, you know, uh, presentations on the app, on the Great uh, Courses Plus app, so you can, even when you don't have access to Wi-Fi and you can't stream, you can still Listen to, again, these thousands and thousands of amazing presentations. And you should definitely listen to the one, uh, uh, Your Deceptive Mind by Dr. Stephen Novella. Learn to think critically. Decipher science from pseudoscience. So applicable to what we're about to get into. Hail Nimrod. Yeah, you'll love the Great Courses Plus. And right now, Time Suckers get a special limited time offer, month of unlimited access to their lectures for free. When you sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck to get your free month Link to this in the episode description, and this is the only way to get that limited time only, only for Time Suckers discount. So click it. Okay, we're going to start uh, with the conspiracies on one, one uh, with one that I've heard before, that the Knights uh, Templar were killed because they held sacred knowledge and proof of Christ's bloodline, his secret marriage to Mary Magdalene, and the Catholic Church wanted this game-changing information to stay hidden. This notion is mocked pretty savagely in my favorite graphic novel uh, series of all time, Preacher by Garth Ennis. In Preacher, in order to keep Jesus and Mary's bloodline truly pure and undiluted, the children of Jesus and Mary uh, keep it in the family, so to speak. (laughs) And then their kids keep it in the family and so on and so on. So, you know, siblings are impregnating each other for generation after generation in this graphic novel so that the family tree never gets literally any branches. And then by the modern age, it's been like, it's been like 2,000 years of strict incest. And, well, uh, you just have to check out this book if you want to someday. It, the latest generation is not, not doing great. They don't look so hot. Their mind's not so sharp. Uh, so sharp excuse me. Oh, man, it cracks me. It's very irreverent. Uh, I'm, I'm a very reverent person, as you know. And the preacher is, is even, for me, I was like, wow, okay, we're going there. Okay. Um, then then the, this, is, this is also kind of a part of Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, you know, the, the whole Magdalene bloodline. Although... Not quite as cartoonish a presentation as uh, Garth Ennis's. Um, the theory involves the Priory of Sion, a secret society said to have been formed prior to the Knights Templar back in the Kingdom of Jerusalem in 1099. And then the Knights Templar was founded uh, as the military and financial branch of this secret order, secret order within the Templars, right? And the Priory of Sion tasked with guarding Christ's bloodlines and, of course, tasked with keeping so many secrets. Uh, well, between 1956 and 1984, a Frenchman named Pierre Plantard contrived this whole thing. He made it all up. He, he, he came up with a mythical pedigree for the Priory of Sion, claiming that it was an offshoot of a real Roman Catholic religious order housed in the Abbey of Our Lady of Mount Zion, 
which had been founded in the kingdom of Jerusalem during the first crusade in 1099, later absorbed by the Jesuits in 1617. He pulled this whole thing out of his ass. He pulled a David Icke. He took real information and then he made some wackadoodle tangents and presented it as more real information. Uh, Pierre claimed that he himself was part of the secret bloodline that the priory assigned was sworn to protect. Of course he was. The bloodline was tied to the French monarchy. Uh, and not only should he be crowned a true French king, the true French king, he should be crowned, uh, you know, the new emperor of the Holy Roman Empire for the end times, for their apocalyptic battle with God as prophesied by Nostradamus. Remember the Nostradamus suck? That guy was no prophet. He's no fortune teller. He's just another wackadoodle. He just wrote a lot of vague doomsday stuff that could be molded to fit future events when future wackadoodles forced various conspiratorial narratives. Well, Pierre died quietly at the age, 19, uh, at the age uh, of 79, excuse me, in the year 2000. Uh, he was not the king of France when he died. He was not the Holy Roman Emperor, and uh, no end times battle occurred. I, I'm pretty sure I'd remember that. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be uh, in a time sucker update next week being like, oh, uh, big update. I forgot that the end times happened back in 2000, and we're all living in some weird uh, parallel universe. Now, within this theory, it's believed that the Roman Catholic Church murdered the Knights Templar to gain access to all known descendants of Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene uh, to then kill those people so they could keep their theology essentially consistent and keep their reason for existing intact, right? Because they couldn't have people thinking Jesus wasn't a pure, chaste man because that kind of fucks up their whole emphasis on chastity. You know, it's, it's obviously very important to the priesthood, the bishops, the whole hierarchy, the pope, etc. doesn't make any sense to have a, a pope not getting, not getting some lady loving if, uh, if Jesus was getting lady loving. You know, like if Jesus wasn't a virgin, if he liked a little soft inner lady skin from time to time, how could they justify their whole organization of virginal, virginal old men who supposedly represent Christ? So the church killed the protectors of the descendants of Christ to help stay in power because they're so evil and keep some descendant from someday rising above the church and dissolving it. A lot of problems with this theory, obviously. Uh, a big, big one being that most of the Knights Templar weren't actually killed, just those guys in Paris. There was a lot of other Knights Templar who lived. Uh, another major problem is that there's zero historical evidence for any of this. Zero reputable historical evidence. This goes back to what I was saying earlier about critical thinking. You know, no legitimate historians like, oh yeah, no, there's a good chance this happened. Uh, okay, here's an even crazier one. Well, I don't know if this is crazier. As crazy, maybe. Maybe maybe not quite. As, it's, it's so hard to tell. It's the scale of crazy with all this stuff. The Knights Templar were in America 100 years before Columbus. Right? Good job, Templars. Way to, way to figure out how to get to a continent no one even knew existed. And, and do it secretly. Well played. Uh, did, you, did you not know that the Templars discovered America? Well, fucking wake up. So much evidence is found in Scotland at Roslyn Chapel formerly known as the Collegiate Chapel of St. Matthew. And it's beautiful, seriously. I really hope I can make it to that place someday. Got to make it to Scotland. And by so much evidence, I mean no evidence, zero evidence. The, the chapel is richly decorated with carvings. Among these are carvings that have been identified as maize by conspiracy theorists, a plant native to North America. How would they know what that looked like? Other carvings identified as aloe cactus, described as a new world plant. And then this is used as evidence that the Templars, you know, made it to the New World. You know, the Da Vinci Code, again, references this chapel, you know, being, being a big part of the Mary Magdalene kind of conspiracy. But here's the thing. The Roslyn Chapel was built, for starters, in 1456, 150 years after the fall of the Templars. So the Templars didn't have shit to do with the building of the chapel. But I know, I know, I know, right? But part of the conspiracy is that, you know, some Templars snuck away and then they were operating in secret. and They're still going to this day. Um, part of this particular conspiracy is that, you know, in 1307, Templars snuck away from France with a bunch of treasure. Sailed to Scotland, hid some of the treasure there. And then the Roslyn Chapel 
is now some secret Templar priory of Sion, Freemason, Demon Church. And its decorations are proof that the Templars made it to the New World before Columbus, except that the carving of maize, if you just look at it, is clearly not maize. It doesn't look like that at all. And the aloe cactus uh, at Roslyn could be any kind of plant. And, and you know, it's not aloe. It's not a cact- there is no such thing as aloe cactus. It's a succulent. Uh, and it's native to Africa, not America. And it certainly wouldn't have, wouldn't have grown in New England, which uh, has severe winters. Uh, also, these carvings, not part of the original structure. So there's a problem there. They were added at some point after 1456, could have easily been added after 1492. Uh, this theory also suggests that an old stone tower in Newport, Rhode Island, is a Templar tower. The Newport Tower. It's round. It stands on round arches. A round church, clearly built by Templar colonists who came to America before Columbus, correct? No. No, the Newport Tower was built as a windmill for grinding grain in the 17th century. Uh, and it's mentioned in 1677 as my stone build windmill in its owner's will. And two separate archaeological excavations at the tower, one in 1951, another in 2006, both concluded that the tower was built between 1650 and 1670. Uh, nowhere near 100 years before Columbus. So, that, so there's that. But still, there is a theory that the Templars would have come in about 1308. Still, you know, survives after the suppression of their order in France. They escaped with their fleet, uh, made it to Scotland, and then uh, taken off for the New World. One name that gets tossed around a lot uh, as far as uh, a Templar taken off for the New World way before Columbus is uh, Henry Sinclair, Earl of Orkney, son of the heir, uh, or son and heir, excuse me, of William Sinclair, Lord of Roslyn. Henry Sinclair is alleged by conspiracy theorists to have been a Templar. No proof of that whatsoever. Again, the order has been defunct. Uh, took charge of a voyage by the Venetian brothers Niccolo and Antonio Zeno, who in maps and letters later claimed to have reached Nova Scotia via Greenland in 1389, explored some of North American coastline more than 100 years before the voyage of Columbus. Numerous problems with all of this. Uh, most historians think that l- the letters claiming all of this are obvious forgeries uh, <laughs> created by the author's uh, Hiram Key, Christopher Knight, and Robert Lomas uh, to help sell their book. And again, uh, no proof that he was a Templar because, you, you know, Templars, again, not around. But so easy, so easy to accuse people of being in secret societies. These fucking conspiracy theorists drive me crazy, right? Because you can't argue against it. They do these stupid arguments where it's like, uh, well, he was in a secret society. And it's like, well, yeah, you have no proof of that. And then they can be like, well, of course there's no proof, dummy. It's a secret society. The proof is secret. Wake up and smell the secrets. Um, a fun sub theory to this Templar exploration, uh, Templar exploration to the new world of the new world, is uh, one that happened uh, that we t- touched. Uh, excuse me, touched on in a previous suck. It's Oak Island that the Templars actually <laughs> made it to Oak Island, and that's where they hid their magical treasure, possibly the Holy Grail. Yes, the mysterious Oak Island we sucked on back in December, the one where we learned. Uh, that the only interesting thing going on on that island is the island's ability to lure countless dipshits into looking for treasure that was never buried there. According to legend, on the day King Philip indicted the Knights Templar, the order loaded up their various treasures from their headquarters in Paris, loaded it onto boats, sailed off to Scotland, sailed, you know, off to Oak Island, you know, hiding this treasure. Um, and then, uh, you know, they, they supposedly wanted to come over to the New World because they wanted to, to, to start that new utopian order create a monastic state. Um, and then they make it uh, to Oak Island, you know, and, but instead of, you know, starting this new civilization, they don't do that. They just bury treasure and disappear. That, that makes sense. You know, they don't, they don't survive as an order. They don't survive that way. They just, uh, you know, they just, they just kind of 
assimilate into the local culture. They become uh, part of uh, some native tribes in Canada, even though there's no evidence of this whatsoever. You know, they uh, they just create something that modern treasure hunters, treasure hunters with all their you know modern equipment still can't access because they they had so much technology at their disposal, but then they didn't have enough technology to to keep a civilization going. I, I don't know. Too bad for those uh, native First Nations Canadians that this didn't really happen. Maybe Sinclair could have helped them build up some tolerance to European communicable diseases like smallpox. Okay. So now, so now let's talk about another one. Uh, let's talk about one where the Knights Templar are part of the New World Order. You know they help run the world, right? Get out, get off your knees. Stop worshiping the New World Order, time suckers. Wake up and smell the Templars. A Knights Templar and Freemason obsessed author named, named uh, John J. Robinson, who died in 96, wrote a book, 1996, called uh, Born in Blood, The Lost Secrets of Freemasonry. Claimed that the Freemasons and Knights Templar were and are intertwined. Here we go again with the Freemasons. Gotta always bring them back in. Uh, John said that... Uh, after the Knights Templar were formed over, over the next centuries to come, they would be referred to as the Order of the Temple, the Knights of the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem, and a number of other variations on this. But no matter what the variation, two things always remain constant. Whatever form you know of their name, it was always based on the Temple of Solomon. And it always took second place to the popular name they bear still, the Knights Templar. Dun, dun, dun. Do you see it, time sucker? Do you see the clear and obvious and powerful connection? Are you woke? Is your third eye working? Do you understand what this so obviously means? Anyone familiar with Freemasonry knows that the Freemasons claim to have been founded upon the building of the Temple of Solomon. So, clearly, since they both claim to have been based on the Temple of Solomon, they are obviously one in the same group. And we already know from the Freemason double suck that Freemasons are a satanic order composed of secret and powerful Jewish leaders who will destroy and or enslave all Christians. This is just as crazy as saying like, uh, you ever think about how Muslims and Christians are actually part of the same religion? I mean, sure, they've killed each other a lot, like a lot over the years, but they both claim Jerusalem is their home. Do you see? Do you see? They're part of the same team, same place, equal, same team. All the fighting being done to distract us from the truth. New York Yankees, New York Mets, both New York, same team. Sure, they look different. Sure, they play games in different cities at the same time. It's all an illusion. Um, there really isn't any better evidence than that for this theory. Like, it's that weak. Uh, and yet I bet hundreds of thousands, if not millions, believe it. Uh, Roslyn Chapel, uh, let's get back to that for a second, said to be where the Knights of the Templar kept their, their biggest, uh, most powerful treasure, the Holy Grail. A lot of conspiracies around the Holy Grail with the Knights Templar. Um, now some people claim that the Roslyn Chapel still holds uh, the Holy Grail. Uh, it's still there. It's in Scotland. How do we know this? Because there are 213 cubes with strange inscriptions within the architecture, and these cubes are speculated to be Priory of Sion, right? Related and possibly uh, even tell what's going on in the in the floors below the chapel. So many things hidden beneath the floors, including the Holy Grail, the mummified head of Jesus the crown jewels of Scotland, tombs filled with large amounts of treasure, Moses' eyeballs, Abraham's right hand, Hitler's mustache, Darth Vader's helmet, Michael motherfucking McDonald's songbook, Yamo be there, oh, 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 Yamo be there. 
Yamo be next whoa, 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 to the Holy Grail, sit next to Moses' eyeballs, near Vader's helmet, looking at Hitler's mustache. You just got McDonald, kind of. That was a bit of a reinterpretation of the Bard of Time Sex's most famous work. That was a remix. Uh, of course, those last few items are nonsense, uh, but, the, but the, the mummified head of Jesus isn't. I didn't make that one up. So weird. What is the Holy Grail, by the way? We've all heard that term a lot. It's the cup Jesus drank from at the Last Supper, and supposedly it received blood flowing from Jesus' side while he was dying on the cross. That part's always seemed super weird to me, right? Just somebody be like, hey, Jesus, I've come to help you. Uh, great, please, can you get me down from here? Uh, uh, no, but look what I've brought you. Uh, is that a cup? Yes, it's your cup from the Last Supper. Please don't talk about food. I'm very hungry. Did you tell me you brought me something to drink in the cup? Uh, no, that'd be, oh, that was a good idea. But uh, no, I had a different good idea. I was thinking I could catch your blood in it as you die. It, wouldn't that be neat? What? How is this helpful? No, legend has it this relic grants uh, the power to heal wounds, deliver eternal youth, possibly immortality. It can grant everlasting life. King Arthur himself supposedly looked for the Holy Grail. Uh, and that brings us to the numerous problems with this legend. It, it probably doesn't exist. For one thing, a lot of historians don't think that King Arthur himself existed. Uh, a lot of historians doubt he was a real person. He comes from uh, uh, Geoffrey of Monmouth, not Joffrey. I learned my lesson. 12th century tales. And, and many historians think that these tales were just that. They were just made-up stories. Um, also, the Grail is not mentioned in any Christian text prior to the 12th century. So that's, that's a bit of a historical problem. Why didn't anyone mention this, this artifact, this relic, for the first millennium plus, you know, years of this religion? How was it kept a total secret for over a thousand years? So, okay, so that's that one. <laughs> then this this one might be crazier. This one I think is crazier than the ones we've even discussed so far. There's a 9-11 conspiracy with the Templars. You know, remember the 9-11 suck we did back? Well, maybe it was an inside job. Maybe I overlooked this. It was an inside job orchestrated by the Illuminati Freemason Scion Templars. Check this out. The Templars were recognized at Claremont. In 1118, do you see? Do you see? Will you let your third eye open? 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 8, 11. It's right there. It's right in front of us this whole time. Wake up. There may have been nine original founding Templars, and they first banded together in 1111 and taking new, no new members for nine years. Right? So there's that. There's the 11s again and a 9 again. And this is somehow the numerical basis for the United States 9-11 tragedy. That's what they were worried about back then. Were they worried about trying to stay alive? No. Were they really try prioritizing forming a new order? No, they weren't. Were they really trying to win the Crusades, which overall they didn't? No, they didn't have time for that. They were focused with a country that didn't exist yet. <laughs> they were focused on a country that would be built in a land they didn't know existed yet. Real people with jobs who can vote believe in this insanely preposterous bullshit. Uh, so th this is the claim largely of, of author Robert Howard in his book, Destruction of the Trade Centers. Occult symbolism indicates enemies within our own government. And here's all the evidence he points that leads back to the Templars. On 9-11-19, the United States invades Honduras. I don't know why that's important. On 9-11-1922, the British mandate for Palestine is created, giving a home to the Jewish people. What about that 9-11? Which actually there's a problem with that because that date's not correct. <laughs> the correct date is actually September 29th. But never, but never mind. It doesn't matter. There's other 11s. 
What about 9-11-1941, when construction of the U.S. Pentagon began? That one is right. And 60 years later, the towers are destroyed on 9-11-11. Ta-da! What does that all mean? It means the Templars wanted to hurt America, but not destroy it for some reason, uh, hundreds of years ago. Don't you see it? Don't you see? Could these random numbers picked from almost a thousand years of tens of thousands of other random significant dates be coincidence? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Maybe. Definitely. For sure. Uh, oh, and also on the web's chat rooms, <laughs> you can find even crazier, even fringier uh, theories, such as that the Templars uh, have time travel abilities. They kind of bounce around through time. Uh, UFO connections. And uh, they were behind the assassinations of both Houdini and JFK because those guys got a hold of a couple rel- relics they wanted back. Oh, and there's Templar bases on Mars. So there's that as well. Nothing's off limits, really, when you're coming up with theories when you don't care about logic or evidence or science or rational thought. What a, what a fun, imaginative world to live in. Let's look further into this crazy world uh, with today's big old idiots of the Internet. Idiots of the Internet. All right, this this might be my favorite idiot section ever. It's it's so good. I didn't do one last week, so I wanted to save it for this week. We're in a big one today. Uh, November 3rd, 2016, UFO Mania posted a video. So you know it's going to be good. They post the best. Uh, called Secretive Knights Templar Make Astounding Bid to Save Worlds. And this is what the video description reads as. It says, uh, in what is surely one of the most amazing reports we've ever read, Russia's Foreign Military Intelligence di- uh, Directorate is reporting to President Putin today, somehow they have this info, that they have confirmed that the most secretive organization in the world has contacted Lord James of Blackheath of the United Kingdom and made an astounding offer to save the global economy with their vast gold reserves, said to be more than has been mined in all of the world's history. I just want to repeat that sentence. They have gold reserves said to be more than has been mined in all of the world's history. So that's kind of an impossible amount of gold, you would think, to have more than all of the gold. That's a, that's a basic mathematical problem there. Uh, you, it's hard to have more than the sum total of something. Um, okay, typical wackadoodle shit, it, uh, this video. It's been, it's been uh, over a year and a half since this game, game-changing news broke. Nothing's happened. Uh, the video makes a case for the Freemasons being, you know, Knights Templar. They point to the same kind of bullshit proof that we just covered and debunked about the Templars, you know, <laughs> beating Columbus to get to America. They had more stuff. They had that somehow the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia is a, is a Templar school of some kind. And uh, and again, they really hit that hit that point of the Templars having more gold than all of the gold that's been mined so far. So I don't know if they're getting it from space or something. Uh, yeah, a lot of weird stuff. So first comment is from user Testament. Testament asks simply, how does one become a member of the Knights? Uh, I'll answer that. I'll take that one. You build a time machine. Uh, it's the only way. You build a time, you build a working time machine. Uh, you go back between 1118 and 1312. You dumb shit. You don't get to become one. They're not around. You can't become a member of an order that doesn't exist. That's the advice. That's the advice I would give. But there's a lot of other advice on the web. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, apparently, real-life Templar Knights just hanging out on YouTube. They got, they got nothing better to do, these new Templar Knights, than to dick around on YouTube. <laughs> Kong the Destroyer it claims to be one of them. Kong the Destroyer. I'm guessing Kong mostly destroys his dick alone in his room. Uh, possibly, you know, he divides his time between destroying his own dick 
and destroying his PS4 controller. And he says, some of us are born into it. <laughs> Others are brought in by existing members. Oh, right. Okay. Sure. Sure. You, you are a Knights Templar, Kong the Destroyer, and I am an award-winning R&B vocalist. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, Columbo Joe 666 gives Testament uh, a place to join, kind of. Not an address or a name or anything. That's, that's what you do if you actually had real information. But Columbo does post, there is a Knights Templar in Georgia, but they worship Baphomet and are underground. <laughs> and they have much knowledge, but not that rich. Oh, so you know, you know they're underground. You know they worship Baphomet, but you don't. You know they have a lot of knowledge, but, but they don't have much money. Thanks for the deets, Joe. I'm going to pass that along. The other people, I uh, and and I, I'm going to pass on 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 joining up with the Georgia Templars. I I do like that they have much knowledge, but I'm I'm looking personally to join a, a Templar order who is that rich, and who don't worship a demon that somebody made up in the 14th century. Uh, Silver Birch Outdoors has a problem as I do with the Templar gold claim. He posts, "How can they have more gold than has been mined in history? Complete stupidity." Exactly, Silver Birch. If that is your real name. Uh, but you're in the wrong thread for logic and common sense, amigo. So, Silver Birch gets uh, plenty of wackadoodle answers. User 1G3001 suggests the River of Mars, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> User Tommy Northwood states, before history, not time. I really don't think these assholes are trolls. I really don't. I know they could be, but I, I do think they're serious. You know, it's it's Mars, bro. Duh. They got most of the Earth's gold, but they got a shit ton of Martian gold as well. How, what are you hung up on? Mars still has Templar mines on it, bro. My uncle, he, my uncle who lives with us right now, has lived with us for the last few years. He told me that the other day. Uh, dude, open your mind. They have gold from the future now. They have more gold than all of the gold that has been mined prior to now, but they don't care about now because they time travel, bro. They've mined gold a thousand years from now and for some reason brought it back to now. To reinvest and to get more gold later. Dude, open your mind. Uh, Saving One offers uh, a, a maybe a, a slightly less crazy option, saying, for all the world knows, there might be an entire ancient Mayan secretly hidden city of gold available to the, <laughs> available to the arch enemy of, of evil. They, the point they could intend, despite the semantics, is that they wish to help those deserving souls who have earned Blessed relief. Maybe that's not less crazy than Mars. Hey, everybody. Do you think that they have an ancient Mayan god city of gold? Uh, all right, Ryan. That'll be quite enough. That's why you can't skip a day of your meds. Okay, buddy. Um, I love. Why is it Mayan? I like. Why? Why are the Mayans rewarding the faithful? Uh, J.K. Machine also thinks about the Mayans, stating, "What if they found all the secret Mayan temples?" I love it when they tie one secret nonsensical conspiracy to another in this way. Uh, why would they find the Mayan gold? Why the Mayan fixation? I guess I'll learn about that in a future suck. Uh, Silver Birch Outdoors tries to clarify his original question after all this, saying the gold was still mined. It didn't grow on trees. All gold has been mined. So even if you have all the gold in the world, you can't have more than has been mined. It's not, it's not rocket scientists. Damn it, Silver Birch. This is not the place for rocket science. This is a place for fucking madness. Complete moron, Timothy uh, Speecher replies directly to Silver Birch Outdoors, saying, Silver Birch Outdoors, dumbass, there's other valuables than gold. It is just one idiot, all caps. What? 
Tim, you don't know how an argument works, Timothy. Uh, you, you're really bad at this. He's, he's talking specifically about the point of how could you have more gold than the gold? Uh, again, you know, that's like, that's like, uh, I have more magic, the gathering cards than all of the magic, the gathering cards that have ever been made. Oh, so you made extra cards then? No, that's not what I said. I have official magic, the gathering cards, the ones that they make. And I have more than the ones that they make. How is, how is that possible? Do you even have a first grade understanding of math? More than ever have been made. Repeating it doesn't make it make sense. More than ever have been made. Uh, Peter Seeger joins the dipshit party posting. This is one of the evilest sadistic groups on earth. The Jesuits must be exposed. The Knights Templars are bloodthirsty. There can only be one master and he doesn't sit in Rome. The people of the Catholic Church are good people, but the flock has been deceived by Satanists that head the Vatican. All secret societies are inherently evil by being secret. Man is corrupted by secrecy, power, and wealth. We must always shine light on the private secret groups and their associates. No, no, Peter. Secret groups are the best. That's why I wanted to launch the Space Lizards and the Secret Suck originally. Right? I wanted to have a closed group not anyone can just wander into. Why? So we can keep out the fucking riffraff like you. Keeping out the riffraff. That's why secret groups form. And you are so riffy and so raffy. Right? Freemasons, for example, you know, they want to be able to enjoy a drink in a lodge that doesn't allow someone like you to be a member. So you're not sitting there ruining their drinking time, blowing them up with a bunch of horseshit. Uh, user Care Bear replies to Peter. Uh, she is a fan of Peter. And she replies with even more crazy. She says, Peter Steger, our founding fathers were the real Freemasons. And then like three commas and a heart emoji. That's interesting. Uh, who wrote our constitution, period, followed by comma. They are not evil, comma, space, comma. The Pope is the damn devil child predators, five commas. <laughs> A bunch of sadistic freaks running wild in the house of the devil, space, comma. Vatican is pure evil, skull and crossbones emoji. I hope the knights kick their ass, comma, clap emoji, three of them. Go President Trump. Flag emoji. What does Trump have to do with any of that? Why does Trump have to fight the Pope? Is that part of the presidency I'm unaware of? Is, there, is he going to nuke the Vatican? Is there a, is there a Trump-Pope showdown in the making? I guess I got to start watching the news again. Uh, Wackadoodle Jamie Doyle has a lot of answers. Uh, he posts about the video itself, not another commenter. He says, your information concerning the Knights Templar is wrong. You should research the real reason they were disbanded. They had broken up into two factions, one that put wealth and power first. The other remained soldiers of Christ. It was the first one mentioned that moved to America, and they started the Illuminati. They are the soldiers of the devil. The soldiers of Christ stayed hidden in Europe. A large force moved to Scotland to guard the goblet and other sacred items. Nuts like Jamie are some of my favorites. I love, I love know-it-alls trying to be know-it-alls in the world of make-believe. Like, like, I love the, the kind of personality type that would correct someone on something that isn't real. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, actually, that's not true. The Illuminati are not reptilian. Uh, they're immortal Templars. <laughs> you don't know. They get their power from God's goblet. Whoever holds God's goblet has all of the power. I read about it in a book I wrote. Uh, I, hey, whoa, <laughs> actually, that is not. Oh, my gosh. You just, I don't even know where to begin with you. That's not how you ride a unicorn. You can't. <laughs> sheesh. You can't write a unicorn that way. Listen, and your information concerning snake bats is all wrong. Uh, snake bats have a different ratio of snake to bat than what you are sadly describing. Uh, oh, Jamie, 
How about the next time you think about sharing a thought, you read a book instead, uh, one printed by university. Uh, or maybe Jamie should talk to Kevin O'Hara. O'Hara considers himself quite the wise sage. You can tell by what he posts. First, he posts, all gold and silver belongs to the Lord, so no man can keep it. And then he posts, all good things come to he that asks and waits. What are you talking about, Kevin? No one's talking about uh, how the gold belongs to them in some immortal sense. Gold, gold does belong to us while we're alive, you, you gibberish pseudo-philosopher. Do you pay your bills in God or do you pay them in money? Okay. And uh, asks and waits. I just liked it because it's a hilarious phrase. I like the extra plural there. Why doesn't anything good ever happen to me? I don't know. Have you ever tried to asks and waits for the good things? I find that asks and waits works best for me. Most of times it's asks and waits works. Um, user Barry Bretz makes another random Trump post saying, God placed President Trump in his office. Don't mess with him. A lot of exclamation points scattered in that one. Why are you posting that here, Barry? This video doesn't mention Trump. It's a video about Templar money. It's, it's talking about England. What are you doing? Get some sleep. You seem tired and fragile. Uh, user Douglas, Douglas Eddy is sick of the Templars' bullshit. He posts, what baloney. They have this wealth because the Catholic Church helped form them. And anything they offer is what they stole through usury. Just another New World Order plan with bondage to it, no doubt, like the European Union. Okay? Uh, Captain Poncho finally solves the gold problem, saying that alchemy made gold, no doubt. Bam! Now we're talking, Captain Poncho. You cracked the code. What is alchemy? Alchemy, according to the dictionary, is a form of chemistry and speculative philosophy practiced in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance concerned principally with discovering methods for transmuting baser metals into gold and with finding a universal solvent and an elixir of life. Making that gold, baby. Pouring some gravel into one end of a magic machine. Maybe adding some salt, maybe some eye of newt, maybe some ro rosemary, you know, maybe some maybe some oregano, and you get 24 carats coming out the other end. That's how the Illuminati makes their real money, alchemy. It almost makes you wonder if they can just make as much gold as they want. Why are they fucking with anyone? Why not just be super, super wealthy and just do what super, super wealthy do people do, uh, you know, which is do whatever they want. Um, user Ron Kennard gives the world a heads up, uh, posting, somehow I just do not believe that a Luciferian order of the Knights Templar, a.k.a. But he, he does AKA with uh, slashes, which is interesting. A Masonic order has all caps, our best interest at heart. No matter how much, quote, gold they offer, remember the kingdom of God, in other words, heaven, has its streets paved in the purest gold that you can see through. You can see through it? Whom do you trust? Heads up. Thanks for the heads up, Ron. Thanks for watching out for the rest of us. Great heads up. If you wouldn't have warned us, we might have just uh, accepted their gold machine gold. And ended up sitting next to the devil in that big lake of fire and not being able to be in heaven where the see-through gold apparently exists. Raymond Ostendorf is also worried, posting, they're making a big bid for the New World Order. They are satanic and dangerous. I like that they're both. They're not just satanic, you guys. They're also dangerous. Interesting. I'm intrigued, Raymond. If they're making a bid for the New World Order, does that mean they're competing with other groups? Is it Templars versus Lizard Illuminati? Who else is competing? Elk Lodge people? Moose Lodge people? What about, what about Carnies? Please tell me the Carnies are somehow in the running. What about Bill Gates? What about McDonald's? What about Ronald McDonald? What about Donald McDonald? What about Donald Ronald McDonald? One more. User Rick Atkinson has a new Templar theory he's been dying to share. He advises that we read Solomon's power brokers. Knights Templars escaped France in 1307, founded Switzerland, best geographical military stronghold to continue their international banking business. 
They were the force restraining the church in the dark ages and later founded the democracies we now enjoy until career politicians took over. Rick, I have to ask you a question. Have you ever, and I mean even one time, read a history book written by a historian? The shit you're talking about is nonsense. I looked into Solomon's Power Brokers. It is pure wackadoo. It's printed in crystal. The book is made of, in quartz. Uh, it's not, but it's it's fucking complete nonsense. Uh, it's that typical stuff we've been talking about today. Freemason, New World Order, Knights Templar stuff. Banky did not kick off in Switzerland until the 18th century. Right? It didn't go from the Templars at the dawn of the 14th century and then zip right on over to Switzerland. There's literally no evidence of that at all. There is no evidence of any sort of sophisticated banking in any part of Switzerland in the 14th, 15th, 16th, even 17th centuries. Their current banking empire began in the 18th century when Swiss mercenaries fighting in foreign wars started bringing home a lot of money, needed somewhere safe to store it. Specifically, the Great Council of Geneva in 1313 established regulations that required bankers to keep registers of their clients, but prohibited them from sharing that info with anyone except the client, unless the city council agreed that they needed to divulge the information. That's what led to modern banking in Switzerland. Ten minutes of research would teach you all of that. Switzerland didn't set up a modern government and really become the nation we know today until 1848. Uh, during that time, uh, you know, during the time the Templars were disbanded, much of it was part of the Holy Roman Empire and would remain so until the 17th century. So timeline Banking history, we bit off as far as your Templar theory goes. But thank you all for the nonsense. Idiots of the internet. All right, that was fun. That was fun for me, at least. I hope you had fun. Love sharing wackadoodle conspiracies. This, it's so amazing to me that so many people believe this shit. Like, really believe it. And, and, and again, if you think they're all trolls, you, you're wrong, and I know that because, sadly, I've met in my travels a lot of people, right? Not online. I've met people and had real-life conversations with people about shit like this. I've met a few comics who believe some of this nonsense. I, I have family members who believe this type of nonsense. Mostly in my experience, uh, these people are not intellectually curious. Not necessarily stupid. They, they just, uh, you know, they, they take no effort into thoroughly looking into something. Or, or sadly, they don't have the ability to decipher credible information from preposterous sources. Again, man, critical thinking is so important. Uh, they, just, they just read something and they don't care about who the author is. You know, if it fits their worldview, they just accept it as truth. Uh, I'm really re trying to retrain my brain to be like, you know, okay, interesting, but where did you get that info? And then if it doesn't seem legit, you know, uh, I, I try to let go and believing in it. You know, like, like the damn Stanford prison experiment, man. We did a whole suck on that. I believed it. You know, because it was all published accredited information, then it turns out that the, the accredited professor who published it uh, totally misled, uh, misled I, uh, I almost did misled again, misled the uh, psycholo psychology, ah, psychology community. New expose uh, was published, by the way, on that, um, where, they, where they released previously unpublished recordings of Phillips and Barta, that Stanford psychologist who ran the study. Interviews with his participants. Uh, it offers very convincing evidence that the guards in the experiment were coached to be cruel. Uh, also shows that the experiment's most memorable moment, arguably, of a prisoner descending into a screaming fit, proclaiming I'm burning up inside, was the result of acting. Uh, I took it as kind of an improv exercise. One of the guards would later tell reporter Ben Bloom, I believed that I was doing what researchers wanted me to do. So damn it, you know, Zimbardo bullshitted us. Time to rethink what, uh, you know, uh, what, he, what he was teaching us about whatever we, about, you know, uh, obedience. And, and it, you know, anything you thought prior to this episode, uh, or prior to that episode, I guess, you know, has to be rethought. Uh, or after that episode, excuse me. I'm fucking jumbling my words around now. All worked up. If, if you thought prior to this episode that the Knights Templar made it to America before Columbus, well, maybe now read time to, you know, time to rethink that with some critical thinking. 
definitely, definitely time now for top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one. On the night of Friday, May 18th, 1291, Acre, the last remaining Christian stronghold, is taken uh, in the initial crusades almost, uh, that was taken by the Christians in, in the initial crusades almost 200 years earlier, falls back to the Muslims. But takes over a week longer to destroy the Templar's fortress. They were the last to go. And before leaving, they killed a few hundred of the Sultan's men, snuck out their treasure, badass to the very end. At dawn, no, sorry, number two, at dawn on Friday, the 13th, October 1307, King Philip IV ordered de Molay and scores of other French Templars to be simultaneously arrested after getting Pope Clement to agree to authorize an inquisition against them based on trumped-up charges. And then on November 22nd, 1307, the Pope instructed all Christian monarchs in Europe to arrest all Templars and seize their assets, and the Knights Templar are no more. Number three, zero proof that the Knights Templar made it to Oak Island. But the History Channel still wants you to think that's possible because shitty History Channel execs care more about ratings than actual history. Number four, some people believe that the Templars are somehow behind the 9-11 attacks, seriously, and that the Templars predicted these attacks with with their very formation, with the dates of their formation. Oh, and they're protecting the Holy Grail and Christ bloodline. Number five, new info, the Templar diet. Who saw that coming? Uh, the exceptional longevity of Templar knights generally attributed to the, you know, the special divine gift of the Holy Grail, uh, writes Catholic scholar Francesco Franceschi uh, in a recent journal article, according to Alice Obscura, but there's a more modern answer. The Knights Templar followed a compulsory diet, diet excuse me, that may have contributed to their long lives. The men in the group took formal vows of poverty, chastity, obedience, and uh, though the order was one of the richest in the world, they didn't eat like it. The knights ate in pairs, were told to study the uh, other more closely to make sure that neither was eating more than his share, uh, you know, and make sure that they were also eating enough. So they ate very well. They only ate meat three times a week, and on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays, the knights ate vegetable-filled meals and bread. Uh, they ate a thick soup. Uh, made of oats, vegetables, they grew fruits uh, in their gardens. On Fridays, they ate no eggs, milk, or animal products. They were allowed to drink wine, but not much, and it was diluted. Sensible eating. Fresh food and lots of fruit and veggies. Man, I, uh, I need to get on that. Mochas and Red Bulls, probably not part of the Templar diet. Probably would not be Templar approved. Probably not adding to my life expectancy. Uh, during the 13th century, average life expectancy for men, even wealthy landowners, was about 31 years, rising to about 48 years. For those who made it to their 20s, the Knights Templar, however, often lived long past 60, and typically they did not die from illness. They died at the hands of their enemies when they were being badass motherfuckers. Time suck. Top five takeaways. The Knights Templar have been totally sucked now. My jaw hurts. Got a kink in my neck. Bit of a headache. But I sucked all those Templars. Uh, big thanks to the Time Suck team, Harmony Velikamp, Jesse Dobner, Reverend Dr. Krell, Alex Dugan, the Bit Elixir team. Danger Brain, Eric Radiker, uh, Queen of the Suck, Lindsey Cummins. Thanks again to Kai Beamer for sending in a, a list of conspiracies to look into. We discussed a new empire on Monday, the Aztecs. Been a long time since we ventured into South America. Uh, last time it was for Pablo, Fran uh, Pablo <laughs> Francisco, a comic. Pablo Escobar and cocaine. Uh, now we dig into an empire that ran on more than white lightning and machine guns. Uh, Egypt and Rome seem to get all the glory of ancient history and civilization, but what about, the, what about the rest of the world? What was going on in South America? Was everyone just uh, fumbling through life? Not, uh, not able to put two syllables together? Of course not. The Aztecs built a vast empire, one that outpaced, outstaged, and outpopulated the likes of Paris at the time. 
They were a powerhouse, warrior-based society with a devout religious following and, and a growing empire. And then Cortez showed up. Shit changed quickly, but why? Why did the massive empire suddenly fall apart? Let's dig in. Let's find out what really happened. Did Montezuma's bloody and superstitious Mexican empire crash at the hands of a few brave conquistadors, as Cortez and history often tell us? Or did a cruel and greedy Cortez capitalize on existing internal strife already hurting the empire when he arrived? Let's find out Monday. My sister, Donna Hale, uh, kicked off research, and she always does a fantastic job. Uh, she's, she's a great teacher, and she's a great researcher. I'm excited to see uh, how much ass she kicked on Monday's show. And time now for some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. Kicking off this, uh, this week's updates with the leprosy dick update. Not kidding. Not kidding. Uh, time Sucker. Uh, Dennis Bashaw wrote in saying, Hail Suck, Master Prophet and Nimrod. I'm a medical librarian. That's as cool as hell to me. And wanted to see what I could find about having leprosy on your dick. Oh, thank you, Dennis. You make me so happy right now. Dennis says, apparently there are cases of poor bastards <laughs> having dick leprosy. I know that's not funny. I couldn't find any reports that bluntly said that their dicks <laughs> rotted off. But I did find one that said the patient suffered from a painful ulcer with necrotic slaw on his glands penis. Oh, the head of the penis. Necrotic. I'm probably saying necrotic slaw correctly. Necrotic. It's uh, S-L-O-U-G-H. But necrotic, whatever that word is, defined as a type of necrotic wound, which is characterized as being yellow, tan, green, or brown in color, and maybe moist. Loose, oh my God, <sighs> and stringy in appearance. I Googled an image for, uh, did a Google image search for necrotic slaw penis. Don't look at the pictures. They're horrific. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I may, I may later. I may not. No, I'll, I'll fight. I'll fight the urge. I won't. I have such a hard time not looking eventually. Definitely nothing you want on your dick. Keep on sucking. Thank you, Dennis. Well, now we know. Well, now we have more information about dick leprosy that we all wanted. I wanted it. Thank you. Uh, email from uh, uh, Time Sucker Justin Phillips says, Dear Reverend Dr. Master Suck Lizard, I just, finishing, uh, just finished listening to the Golden State Killer episode. Just wanted to say I feel the same way you do about what should happen to him if he's found guilty, ends up in prison. I'm a longtime sucker. Space Lizard, I've been a prison guard for most of my adult life. With the exception of two years, I currently work at a federal prison. I'll leave the place out just because I did mention your name. Uh, you would be surprised at how easy these people have it. We have quite a few monsters locked up. Uh, we can look up and see exactly what charges they have, and we can't and we can't treat the monsters any worse than the people who have petty crimes. The system is a joke. Uh, what you see in movies and most TV shows is just that, a show that was made by someone who was never in prison will never know what it is really like. Even people like the Golden State Killer will be not treated harshly or will not be treated too harshly in prison. If he makes it into federal prison, which I highly doubt, he will, he will go to a yard that is mostly sex offenders, so he will not be raped or anything bad. If he somehow wound up on a normal yard, then I can assure you they would check the paperwork and he would probably die, but they won't allow that to happen. Uh, he would go straight into segregation and be shipped if he uh, found his way here. Uh, if you would like to talk about what actually happens in federal prison, just email me. I have been a big fan of yours for a long time. I found you on Pandora. haven't turned back since. Oh, man, thank you. Continue the great work, Dan. Keep the suck coming. Sorry if there are any typos. I'm on my phone typing this. Sincerely, Space Lizard. Justin, man, Justin, thank you so much. Um, 
Yeah, that that's insane, man. I'll have to. I'll do my best. To remember to email you when I do some kind of like uh, life in prison suck. I mean, that reminds me. We did that one about you know uh, America's you know insane asylums over the years, mental institution. To be interesting to do one on prisons for sure, actually. But uh, I know, and I know a lot of people don't agree with you and I about uh, what should happen to some of these guys uh, in in prison. But I am, I am glad that uh, that that you're with me. Yeah, it just it, it does make me sick that they do the most horrific things to people and then just get to kick back and watch fucking TV, you know? Uh, okay, time sucker Tanya Gregerson says, first of all, I'd like to thank you for the suck. My my husband introduced me to your podcast about a year ago, and I appreciate it for so many reasons. I love the range of topics that you cover and that you are able to bring humor into everything no matter the topic. For a very long time, I believed that there was something shameful about my sense of humor and, and that my job that caused this had ruined me. I'm a probation parole agent supervising everyone from parolees that have been convicted for murder, child sex offenders, offenders who suffer from severe and persistent mental health issues to your basic weed possession. I have found that bringing humor into my world doesn't make me a bad person. It's actually what I need to be able to do uh, to do what I do every day. I listen to your podcast while I do endless amounts of paperwork, which makes it not suck so much. I've also learned that I can learn something from almost everyone. Just today, I was learning about the pagan religion from one of the sex offenders on my caseload who's practicing it, and it was super interesting. I explained that I was just listening to your podcast about the Knights Templar, which started that discussion. <laughs> That's cool. However, I did not suggest your <laughs> I did not suggest your podcast. I don't think he would approve of your views on sex offenders. Yeah, probably not. Probably not going to get a lot of time suckers in prison. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks again, Tanya, or at least not the sex offenders. I shouldn't have thrown everybody in prison under that under that uh, under that uh, bus. Yeah, thank thank you, Tanya. You know, I, I get it. I get it about the sense of humor. You know, uh, when I first, I, probably, I think I said this before on some, some sucks, so sorry if I'm being repetitive, but when I did, uh, you know, social work stuff very briefly before, I remember walking in day one on the job to this child protective services and just blown away by what they were, <laughs> what they were joking about there. Like when the phones, you know, was down, they weren't talking to a, a client, didn't have a meeting. Oh man, they would say some dark shit. And I was like, my God. And then somebody took me aside because he saw that I was uncomfortable with it. Uh, Michael Grady, actually, just name just popped in my head, man. Great social worker. Um, he was he was close to retirement uh, then. I don't know what he's if he's around now. Hopefully, but he said, um, "Hey, man, you know if uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna handle this business, you got to be able to joke around about it. You know the the people who joke the darkest are usually like the best best case workers. So yeah, so I bet you are one of the best at your job, Tanya. Uh, love that you're time sucker. Last one, pronunciation update from OG time sucker. One of the first ones ever to write me. Uh, you know British time sucker Rebecca Pridmore. Uh, who says, what's up, Master Sucker Supreme? Little guide on UK pronunciations for you. No big deal. Just so you sound like you know your shit next time. When an English county has a shire in it, it isn't pronounced like the shire in The Hobbit. It's mostly contracted to be a short sure with a falling R. So Cambridgeshire is pronounced, you know, it's, yeah, it's Cambridgeshire with the with the R barely sp- spoken. Also, Edinburgh, uh, or Edinburgh, uh, no O's there, champ. It's uh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Same goes for other names with Burrow, Burrow. Okay, keep up the good work, Rebecca. Thank you, Rebecca. You know, I did look, I just for, I just assumed that it was Shire, so I didn't even uh, do a pronunciation check. Probably probably because of Lord of the Rings. Damn, damn you, Hobbit. Um, uh, thank you for writing that in. Thanks for letting us all learn a little bit more. And that's all for today's Time Sucker Updates. Thanks, Time Suckers. I needed that. We all did. Thanks again for listening, uh, Time Suckers. Have a great weekend. If you figure out how to make a gold uh, making machine, please make a little for me. I mean, you're already, you're making it. I'll pay for the lead or the gerbils or the sandwiches 
uh, or the dirt that goes in to make the gold and keep on sucking, you magnificent bastards. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out? Sleep? Read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck.